Hey everybody, welcome back to Wiki Garden Podcast. I'm your host Mike, and on the line with me tonight is Witness G. Hey G. How you doing? I'm doing great. We are busy as hell, um, but we're <laughs> yeah. going to be doing something. We're going to be doing something tonight, uh, just a kind of informal show, talking about the series Unsolved Mysteries. It's one of our favorite pieces of uh, television and influenced us both greatly when we were younger. So we're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, before we do that, you had asked the listeners to get in touch with us. And um, yep. you had asked more often because a lot of them did. Yeah, uh, <laughs> we put out to you guys on the last episode, write in or let us know that you're listening or if there's anything you guys wanted to talk about or any specific cases. And we definitely got some responses. So we got a lot on our plates now and we're going to be uh, deep diving some uh, cases that you'll be hearing about pretty soon. Yeah, that doesn't mean you have to stop contacting us. Yeah, for sure. We'd Definitely keep writing in. <laughs> yeah, and I wanted to shout out tonight and thank Andrew for getting in touch with us. You're going to hear Andrew on the show soon. So like G said, we've got a lot of stuff going on. Tonight we're talking about Unsolved Mysteries, the television show itself, which is, um, I think, one of the most iconic TV shows for what we do, paranormal slash true crime stuff. It's a cultural phenomenon in the U.S., and it's done so much good, too, along the way. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, I know when I was younger, I watched it all the time. It started in 1987, and actually the two showrunners are still doing it, even though it's gone through three different, actually four different iterations, and continues now onto Netflix. So G's been watching it on Netflix, and I've been watching it on Netflix, and we've really been enjoying it. Although I got to say, I like the old ones better. And that may just be me. What's yeah. your thought on it? There's something very nostalgic about the old ones. It's not the same without Robert Stack to me. He was super well-spoken. He made the show. The voice made the show to me. So yeah, without yeah. the Stack, voice and the music. Yeah, I was trying to think of who would be a good replacement. The best I have is Lance Riddick. I think he'd do a good job. But it's a it's yeah. it, it feels like a slightly different show. There's it's more modern. It's it's just it's not completely. The same show. Yeah, it's completely documentary based, and they they made a point of doing that. Um, they actually talked about it when they were moving it. They said we're not going to do any hokey reenactments anymore. Although I love the reenactments, I think they're great. Yeah, I do. So they it. still do a little bit of them, but they they don't do as much of them as they used to do. And some of them in the beginning, you know, back in '87, were pretty ham handed. You know, um, they were pretty rough. But you know, all in all, there was four usually four mysteries in the old show. Yeah. With stacks, so you would get, like, they'd break them up every 15 minutes because used to be you didn't have a commercial every five minutes. You had a commercial every 15 minutes. And they would break them up, and you would get, like, a, a mystery, and they'd go to commercial and come back with, you know, another. And then there were four. Sometimes they would go three, you know, and then on some they did two. But they they always at least had multiple mysteries in each episode. Yeah. And um, the Netflix obviously doesn't have any commercials, and you've got – you know, 58, 60 minutes to fill. And it's mostly all interview based. So, you know, very little reenactment, a lot of, you know, crime scene footage, yeah. that type of stuff. And but it does, I just think, yeah, it follows the popular format that you're used to. If you've watched any documentary in modern times, yeah. like it does follow the yeah. same formula. So it's very watchable, but it's, yeah, it's, it's not more 48 hours. It's, it's more like 48 hours than anything. You know, it's more like that kind of type of format, but I enjoyed the old format. I really did. They did do some reenactments where uh, they were doing the paranormal episodes. Uh, the one UFO episode from season one on Netflix. They did yeah, a few reenactments. Yeah. It was pretty cool. There's some CGI in that. Yeah. yeah. That's really good. Yeah. 
Yeah. So what I did is I took like my three favorites from the old show. And then I also took my favorite from the new show. And then I also did my three favorite unsolved New Jersey mysteries. Because that's kind of what you and I talked about doing. But you may not have done that. Well, so did you do I can pretty much, <laughs> I can give you a solid one. Okay. All right. Well, then I'll do mine first. All right, cool. So I picked like my top three from the old show. So I'm going to start up with the first one here. Now, this isn't my favorite. This is my, you know, third favorite. And actually, it's really not even a favorite. I just think it's kind of cool. Um, there were a lot of weird things that went on with this uh, particular episode. The episode actually is titled Edward Bell and Larry Dickens. <laughs> so... And it comes from the 80s. So in September 1984, there was a couple that had a young child and the father was leaving early for work. So he's headed out the door and the mother is upstairs. The three-year-old's downstairs and the mother's upstairs. She's combing her hair and she's getting ready to go out. She's going to take the kid to like a doctor's appointment or something along those lines. So anyway, as she's standing there looking in the mirror, this guy appears behind her and he's got a knife. Well, he picked the wrong woman to screw with that day because she proceeds to literally kick his ass. <laughs> <laughs> so awesome. she disarms him with the knife. Yeah, um, she was a little badass. She basically gets him on the run. And not only that, she retrieves the gun from the top drawer of her husband's bureau and she chases this guy down the steps. Actually fires three shots at him and chases him out out of the house. Oh man. So he was in, yeah, he was in t attempting to, you know, probably rape her and Lord knows what he would have did to the kid, you know? Yeah. Um, so about four months later, she's looking in the paper and, and that was in September of 1984. And this is January of 1985. And the papers down in Texas are, you know, publishing like the most wanted in Texas. So she's looking through the paper and she sees this guy because he got away that day and, you know, she gave the cops a description he never caught. So she looks and she sees this guy and a guy's name is Ed Harold Bell. Piece of filth had been around committing crime since about 1969. He was, it was an interesting character. And most of the crimes he committed were like exposing himself to children, um, trying to have sex with children. He was a rapist. Um, he was a burglar. He did all kinds of stuff. And not only that, he managed to also be a pretty successful businessman at the same time. So one of the things that he had done was back in August of 1978, and they didn't notice at the time, he had actually pulled through an intersection that was full of kids. So there's all these kids there and he pulls through the intersection. He gets out of his truck and he's got no pants on. What? He walks back. Yeah. He walks back to the intersection, no pants on, right? Now, this woman is looking out her kitchen window, and the kids were basically just like playing like ball in the middle of the intersection. So he walks balls ass naked back to him. He's just got a shirt on. So her son was home that day. He was home from the Marines, and his name was Larry Dickens. And he was actually mowing the lawn, helping his mother out. And it was just he and his mother at the residence. So his mother starts screaming. He goes outside and, you know, this guy sees him and starts walking back to the car. So he gets back to his truck and Larry is basically trying to get the keys from him while the mother calls the cops. So the, the mother is on the phone with the cops. She's calling 911 and she's describing what's going on. As she's doing this, Larry's trying to do the right thing. He's trying to just get the keys from this guy yeah. so that they can, you know, hold them there. Well, he pulls a gun out of the car. 
So Larry backs up, and he proceeds to shoot Larry four times. Damn. Um, he shoots him once, or excuse me, four times in the, in the chest and in the stomach, and then he also shoots him one in the head, once in the head. So now he puts his pants back on, and he goes back into the truck, and he's getting a rifle, and he's going to come back, and he's going to finish Larry off. So the mother comes out of the house and confronts him and says, please, please, please don't shoot my son anymore, blah, 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 blah. Um, the guy hears another car coming and it turns out that it is actually the Dickens daughter um, who was coming home. Her name was Dawn and she was coming home from cheerleader practice. So she sees this guy standing in the driveway over top her brother who's prone on the ground bleeding and her mother who's begging, you know, like this guy to just get lost. Oh man, I like where this is going. Yeah. And she pulls up and you know, he doesn't know what it is. He doesn't know if it's an undercover cop because her car kind of looks like it. So he jumps back in his truck she pulls in front of his truck. He takes off, reverses it, and takes off. So, you know, she gets out of the car, they come over, and unfortunately, Larry was dead. Oh, now, man. the whole time, this guy, Larry, is trying to disarm this guy. And even when he was shot, he was still trying to subdue this guy. It was unbelievable. So That's pretty wild. Yeah. So, crazy, crazy stuff. So, this Ed Bell takes off, and the police are actually coming towards the house. One guy's on a motorcycle, and another guy's in a cruiser. And the red truck goes by him. So they turn around and they give chase and they actually catch this clown. And they, 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 he, he actually barrels through a fence of a yard and his truck is in the yard. There's one section of fence missing and he's like sniping at these guys as they're trying to come in through the fence and get them. Damn, yeah. He pulled his, he pulled another rifle out of the car and he was actually getting ready to shoot them and it jammed. So they were able to subdue him. They got him down on the ground. They get him. They got him arrested. So two months later, he gets out on bail. He liquidates his assets and he runs. Okay. He liquidated his assets to the tune of $140,000. Because like I said, he was a successful businessman as well. So he takes off with his $140,000. And he is not found until 1992. And once again, what happened was they... They re-aired the episode, and in 1992, it would have still been, you know, Robert Stack. So they re-aired the thing, and viewers down in Panama say, hey, we know this guy. He actually is down here. He's an American, and he's panning for gold. So he was down in Panama, and he was finding gold, panning for gold. What the heck? So they actually, yeah, so they worked with the Panamanian government. They arrested the guy, and they extradited him to Texas, and he spent the rest of his life in jail. Well, but here's the amazing thing about that episode. Larry Dickens character is played by none other than Matthew McConaughey. What? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And it's one of the first episodes of one of the first pieces of of television that he ever did. Oh, man, that's something. So if you get a chance to check it out online, um, just type in uh, Edward Bell uh, slash Larry Dickens. And the Dickens is spelled D-Y-C-K-E-N-S. I just uh, it unsolved wrong. mysteries and it'll come up you know and you'll you'll get a chance to see matthew mcconaughey as larry dickens wow man yeah pretty interesting little story so i liked it because there, there actually were a lot of actors that made their first appearance on unsolved mysteries yeah. it's actually a pretty Doing good the list. reenactment song yeah i actually have the list here let me let me pull it up i thought for sure you're gonna yeah. say that cheerleader was gonna run him over because that'd have been awesome she just tried to pull in front of him. Yeah. The reenactments in that one are really, really good. So, you know, like I said, check it out. But let's see here. 
Oh, here we go. I had this pulled up before we started, dude. Hey, it's all good. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So let's see here. Good thing about this is I can give you the stats on it, too. Yeah. On um, why I got it pulled up. Notable actors and celebrities. Matthew McConaughey, Cheryl Hines, Stephanie Weir, Bill Mosley, Ned Bellamy, Daniel Day Kim, uh, Scott Wilkinson, David Ramsey, and Tyron Kilm also appeared on the show as reenactors. And then somebody else named Hill Harper. So pretty much McConaughey yeah. <laughs> would have been the most famous out of that. Reggie White appeared, which is interesting to us. Reggie White? You know, you're, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, because Reggie White's, if you remember, his church was set on fire. Oh, Yeah. Yeah. And it was, they were trying to figure out who did it. Uh, Henry Rollins was on there also with Dennis Cole because uh, Dennis Cole's son got murdered. And uh, I don't know if too many people remember this, but um, there was a band member of Iron Butterfly that went missing. His name was Phil Kramer. And they had Ron Bushy on from Iron Butterfly talking about his disappearance. And then also John Bon Jovi appeared, and he was talking about the death of his personal manager. Wow. Her name was Catherine Corzillis. So he was actually on the show, too. Yeah, 593 total episodes. Yeah. So pretty interesting. But the presenters for the show have been Raymond Burr, Carl Malden, Robert Stack, Virginia Madsen, who I don't even remember doing it, and Dennis Farina. You know, I actually... I don't actually I even do remember, remember Raymond Virginia Burr or Madsen. Carl Malden either. Yeah. Do you remember that? I do remember uh, Virginia Madsen because yeah. I had a thing for it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's been on NBC. It was on NBC for 10 years, and then it was on CBS for a couple. Then it went to Lifetime for two. And then Spike had it on for a while. And it stopped in 2010, and now Netflix has picked it up. And actually, um, I think HBO produces it for Netflix. So, Well, you know, that's not surprising because it is pretty good quality. I think it's pretty well yeah. done. So do you want to do yours? I think my favorite one, the one thing I liked about the show is a mix between paranormal subjects and actual true crime. Yeah. And my favorite actual video footage of any kind of UFO, whether it be a hoax or not, was from this episode. It's a live unveiling the footage and it was the guardian footage it was from ottawa canada even looking back at it now it doesn't look hokey to me it actually looks like pretty good footage do you remember seeing that at all yes yeah you, actually i rewatched it when you told me about it yeah what it was, was and it's probably the most impressive ufo footage i've ever seen yeah i remember being super shook as a kid like back when they used to unveil stuff live uh we talked about a little bit like alien autopsy on fox and sightings used to do stuff like that and unsolved mysteries did it with this guardian tape it looked like if there was a UFO on film, that was definitely it. Yeah. The weirdness of that thing, too, was like there were fire. There was fire in the bushes around it. Yeah, it seemed it. like and it seemed to be. It seemed to be putting the fire out, which was really weird. It was pretty strange. But 1989 in Ottawa, and there was a girl named Diane Lebanek. She witnessed it from her window and was pretty much afraid to go to the police with it. And a few months later, a videotape showed up at the uh, Canadian MUFON and it had it was just marked Guardian it came with some crazy files that are published online if you want to read it's very hokey everything that showed up with the videotape but the actual videotape itself like stood out to me it's like something that really got me interested in UFOs it's amazing footage you know I mean it's either it's either footage of a UFO or it's footage of some really weird fire engine in Canada putting out fires in the bushes you know, I, but it doesn't look like that. Yeah. It, it does look like a UFO. Yeah. But that's, but it, a lot of people have accused it of being like, you know, doctored footage of some kind of fire 
fire engine or something like that. But people can take a look at it yeah. and decide for themselves. I, I, I thought it was amazing when you told me about it. I looked at it and I said, wow. It's funny because a lot of people that I talk to have no idea what I'm talking about. And every now and then I'm like, I got to make sure that's still pretty good footage. And I go back and look at it. But uh, actually in 2019, since it happened in 89, the Ottawa Rewind website did a 30th anniversary of it. There's a lot of stuff that we didn't see in the original episode, which is just GIS data, but nothing's changed much since 89 in Ottawa, where this took place. Uh, it happened on a tree line, so it's strange. It would just seem like a barren field with some flares, and if this thing was a hoax, man, it was pretty good, and I don't know how they would get it all the way out to the middle of a field, but it definitely not yeah, CGI. That, it was pre-CGI, so... No. Yeah, it's pre-CGI. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it would have to be, it would have to be CGI to be, be like a fake, and it it's pre-CGI. Yeah, if our listeners are at all interested in, you know, looking at good UFO footage, I highly recommend looking up that episode. But it's the uh, Diane Levenek episode, and it was season five, I believe, of the original Unsolved Mysteries. Yeah, series. I just searched on it by The Guardian, Unsolved Mysteries, and it came right up. I had to watch, like, one other mystery before it. But, yeah, I think it was season five. Yeah, so we just got done with your story, right? Your se- your first one? Uh, yeah, I, I think so. So I, my second one here I got is actually another one that's kind of like near and dear to my heart because it's about Arkansas, and it's about the boys on the tracks. Are you familiar with that story? Yeah, that no. sounds, you know, actually my brain just automatically shifts to West Memphis 3, so I don't think it's the same thing. Okay, yeah. The boys are on the tracks were um, two boys that were found. Um, they actually were laying across train tracks. So uh, what happened was there was a like a one-mile-long train. It was going about 52 miles an hour. It was coming out of Little Rock, and it was going through Bryant, Arkansas. And it was a freight train. It was, like I said, about a mile long. I think it was 78 cars altogether. So this thing's going 52 miles per hour, just the headlights on. And up ahead, the engineer and the other guy that was in there with them, they see this this thing laying across the track, and they identify right away. They know it's a couple bodies. So they look, and they can see that there's two bodies laying across the track, and there's like a green tarp on top of them. So they immediately hit the brake, and they lay on the air horn. Now, the air horn is 98 decibels. Damn. <laughs> okay, so it's really, really loud. So they lay on this horn. These kids don't move, and they wind up running them over. They wind up cutting them in half. Uh, the one boy's name was Don Henry, and the other one was named Kevin Ives. So they call the cops out. The train eventually stops. They go back. They look. Of course, they're dead. Cops come out. All four of the guys who were working the train that night saw the green tarp. They saw it with their own eyes. Later on, the police would say that the green tarp never existed and that those guys never told them about the green tarp. And originally, there was a medical examiner in Arkansas. He's pretty famous for being terrible. I can't remember what his name is. And they don't name him in the Unsolved Mysteries episode, but this guy was a clown. He was a Clinton appointee, and he was just terrible, terrible at his job. He was an Indian doctor. He was just terrible. Um, He had said that those guys had died because they smoked, like, I think he said they smoked 23 joints. What? (laughs) Yeah, that's what he said. And they fell, they fell asleep on the tracks and they, they basically were killed because they were all doped up. So that was the official story coming out of the coroner. And this case is known as the boys on the tracks down in Arkansas. And Bill Clinton was the governor at the time. That medical examiner was his political appointee. Hillary Clinton was first lady to the governor. All that good stuff down there. And this was around the time that Mina, Arkansas um, was running drugs down to the Contras. 
you know, they would get drugs from the Contras and they would come back up and they would bring them guns. Yeah. So like they would bring them down airplanes full of guns and they would bring back all the cocaine and they were doing this with the knowledge of the CIA. Clinton was in on this. Bush senior was in on this whole thing. Yeah, and It absolutely it would, was out of Arkansas. Yes. And a matter of fact, Tom Cruise does a... Exactly. It was an awesome movie. And I'm drawing a yeah, blank on the name of it right now. Made in America yep. is what it's called. It. And it's about... He's Barry Seal in it, who was one of the pilots who got recruited to do all this stuff by the CIA. And then, you know, was later on hunted by the CIA. They were trying to kill this guy. But yeah, so all this was going on. And these two boys must have witnessed is they used to use those train tracks for drug drops. Oh, really? Yeah. So they would drop the Coke and they would use these train tracks as like a kind of a marker where to know to drop them. And all kinds of people were in on it down in Arkansas. I mean, all this stuff is supposedly conjecture, but if you read any book about the thing, they'll tell you that the Clintons were in on it. I mean, like I, my wife's from Arkansas. A lot of our listeners are from Arkansas. Um, they know what I'm talking about. I know stories about the state troopers down in Arkansas. Not going to say how I know, but Billy used them basically as like a personal police force uh, for him to do all his dirty work. He did that for a really long time. Everybody knows about the story, even Hillary with the Easter eggs uh, on the front lawn. Yeah. But she screamed. Yes. So all that stuff, according to the people I know, is true. And um, what happened was these parents would not let go. So four months goes by and they're just, they're just railing against this. They have a press conference and they're like, this is ridiculous. There's no way our boys smoke that much pot. What they were doing that night, the boys was, they were out spotlighting. So they were hunting with a spotlight. So they would spotlight, you know, a deer and they would shoot it. It's illegal. What they were doing was illegal. Yeah. But they told the one. probably pretty common um, in that area, I assume. Absolutely. The one told his father, that's what we're going out and doing. And he loved his gun. He had a 22 uh, rifle that he took with him to do all this. And that's what they were out there doing. That's why they were along the train tracks. So they must have saw something that they shouldn't have saw. But anyway, these parents, four months later, had a press conference. They raised the problems that were with the evidence and with the medical examiner. They brought all this uh, independent information. I think one of the boys, um, their parents kind of had uh, a little bit of money so they could afford to hire a private investigator. They could uh, afford to like poke around. What happened was there was a new prosecutor that came in right about that time and he got elected. His name was Richard Garrett. And uh, he kind of got elected on saying he was going to reopen that case. So he had the bodies exhumed. A new medical examiner took a look at them, and they were able to figure out that they had about the level of smoking two joints in their system. That's what I was so going to say. That, it's probably two or three joints, but 23? Right. I mean, that's who does that? That's why you can really smoke. Who smokes right, 23 without, joints? <laughs> no, I mean, not really. without a case of Doritos. So, exactly. Yeah, so these guys um, were out there hunting. They smoked a couple joints. Uh, Must have saw something they weren't supposed to see. Something was up with that tarp, too, because, like I said, the cops said it never existed, uh, all that good stuff. But um, I'm trying to remember what there was a uh, sheriff that later on got hired to try to figure the whole thing out. I think his name was John Brown. But you guys can look it up. Um, It's a great story, and it's one of the best episodes of Unsolved Mysteries. And it doesn't get into anything besides Garrett himself. Garrett winds up dying. Um, without any resolution to it. But as of 2016, Ives' mother is still suing the government. And what she's suing the government for now in 2016 is she's actually suing them for ignoring FOIA. 
So she's requested documents from pretty much every letter agency known to mankind, and they have not given her the documents that she wants, and she just keeps suing. So at this point, she's suing them because they haven't given her the documents. So she's going to wind up with either a cash settlement or wind up getting these documents sooner or later. Wow. And this is still an on, still an ongoing thing to try to clear these kids of being, you know, like drug addicts. But yeah. there was 98 decibels on that horn. If they had even smoked 23 joints, if they weren't already, as a matter of fact, they were able to prove that one kid was stabbed. Um, they were able to tell by his shirt. Um, and, you know, at 98 decibels, if, if they were high and they were alive, they would have got up. They would have heard that train coming. Yeah. Um, the conductor estimated that there was about five seconds from when he started to hit the horn till when they ran over the bodies. That's a pretty good amount of time to wake up and sort of kind of stagger off the tracks. And that one is called, it's called Friends to the End. So if people want to look it up, just look up uh, Friends to the End on Solved Mysteries and you can take a look at that story. Wow. It's a great story. Yeah, there's, there's so much lore about the yeah, state troopers wild. down in Arkansas, dude. I'm not going to say how I know. You know, <laughs> but yeah, no. I can tell you, I can tell you another little piece of a story that's something that's absolutely amazing. First of all, Roger Clinton was one of the biggest Coke dealers in Arkansas. Okay, that's a known fact. All right. He was selling Coke in Fayetteville um, back in the 80s, big time. There were a lot of embarrassing pictures that were destroyed over the years, especially when Bill Clinton ran for president. And it was a well-known fact that when Arkansas had its debutante ball, the winner of the debutante ball and a couple runner-ups would be swept into a car by the state troopers and taken to the governor's mansion. Really? That shit happened. Okay. And there's all kinds of other stories. Like if you look in the Whitewater, one of the lawyers from Whitewater got the crap beat out of him one night by a bunch of state troopers that were off duty. Yeah. The state troopers were Bill Clinton's goon squad. Everybody kind of knows that. Yeah. I mean, that's literally not even one episode. Like we could do three episodes easily. On there's just- a great um, YouTube video on the boys on the tracks. And what I'll do is I'll try to give it to you so you can put it in the show notes. It's really good. Yeah, we're going to link the shows uh, that we've been talking about. So if our listeners want to yeah, we'll check those out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I just got one more of the old ones. Um, and it's actually called The Stockton Arsonist. And it actually leads us into talking about some things that we're going to be talking about here in the real near future. There was a gentleman who broke down along the side of the road. The guy's name was Joe Villa. Uh, and this is in Stockton, California. So his car overheats. And it's him, his son, and his wife. So he says to his wife, you wait here, and me and the boy are going to walk, and we're going to try to find a phone, right? So they're going to go look for a pay phone. As they're walking down the road, they see this camouflage jacket laying close to the bushes. So they go over, and they kick this camouflage jacket, and a VHS tape falls out, and then also a bunch of audio cassette tapes. Um, So they take the VHS tape. They don't take the audio cassette tapes because they're basically just like heavy metal audio cassette tapes. And that, that doesn't really interest the VIA family. So they just take the, they're just curious about what's on the VHS. So they get the car fixed. Later on, they go home and they pop the VHS in the VCR. And it's footage of a kid who is in the bushes and he is watching a house burn. And he's, he's reciting all kinds of stuff about Satan and the devil and how he worships, worships the devil. And he's going on and on. And he actually says to the, you know, it's funny because I think of all those movies where, like, they're robbing a bank and the one guy actually says somebody's name. 
Yeah. And he looks, any other guy looks over at him and goes, I thought we said no names. Uh huh. So the, this kid is literally like, look at it, Omar. Look at it burning, Omar. I told you I would do it, Omar. Right. <laughs> so he's saying this in the, in the tape. So the Via family gets freaked out because this, this house is burning down. And they don't know. They don't know if somebody was in the house. They don't know if they're witnessing a murder. They don't know what they're witnessing. They do see in the videotape a fire engine pull up. And then the tape kind of cuts out. So they call the cops. And the cops come and they take a look at it. And the cops are amazed. They're like, it's the most evil thing that we've ever seen, blah, blah, blah. So there are some telltale things in the video. Like there were some, there was so also some television programs that were recorded on it at the end. They look on the videotape, they find all these other shows and these commercials, and they realize that this was probably taped sometime between 1988 and the date that they got it, which was August 5th of 18, or excuse me, 1989. So they also go back to the scene and they find the camo jacket and they find the audio tapes. The audio tapes really aren't a lot of help, but they also find a wooden pestle in there, which is usually used to grind up, you know, like some herbs and stuff like that. If you're trying to like summon spirits or something like that. And there was a ceramic skull where the top of it was hollowed out so that you could do this. So literally it's like a ceramic skull with a, with a hollowed out head. So you can pound down your little herbs in your, in your skull, you know, to perform your little rituals. So that's what they found. That's what tipped them off that there was probably some kind of satanic element about this whole thing. Yeah. So uh, anyway, a bunch of time goes by and they don't really have any leads. You know, they know a fire engine was called. So, you know, they're, they know that much, but eventually what happens is they re-air it. Uh, and when they re-air it, they actually enhance the videotape. And at a point, there's a, another house off in the distance to the left of it and also a trailer behind it. And the trailer looks like a construction trailer. So there's a guy in Redwood City, California. His name is Ed Tarantino, and I don't know if he's related. <laughs> Could be. To, you know, yeah. Quentin, I have no idea, but his name is, he is in California and he's in Redwood City and his name is Ed Tarantino. And he calls into Unsolved Mysteries and he says, hey, I know what house that is. And I know when it happened and all that other good stuff. So Redwood City cops go to work on it and they soon identify a 17 year old kid named Omar. Uh, They go to Omar because it's a pretty... Yeah, unique name. It's one of those names that kind of stands out, right? And like 1989 in Redwood City, California, not too many Omars around, right? Right. So they go to this kid, and the kid soon gives up a 19-year-old kid and tells him that he's the one that actually did the videotape. And he winds up going to an insane asylum, the 19-year-old. So he's locked up in an insane asylum. Oh, so they got him. Yeah, they did get him. Awesome. So... they were my three favorites of the old ones. Cool. So I picked a paranormal one, and you picked three true crime. Did you get a chance to look at the? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, the re- here's the reason. I, here's the reason I did that. It, it, there really was no rhyme or reason to that, right? And I'm not trying to tilt the show towards true crime. I yeah, just we know. <laughs> the, here's the well, no. Here's the thing with the unsolved mysteries, right? Like. I've seen everything on there is a reenactment, right? So it's everybody's witness testimony and it's always secondhand. I think the best one that I saw of the old ones um, that was a paranormal show was probably one that a lot of people wouldn't remember, but it was called the Tatum House. And it was about a poltergeist in a house, once again in California. And they were a retired couple, a husband and wife, and they bought this house for the retirement. And they had this poltergeist. 
and they had all kinds of things happen to them. But when you're watching the Tatums, it's really apparent early on that they're pretty straight shooters. They're very, you know, I think he was ex-military. They're like, you can tell there's no bullshit in these people. You know what I mean? You just get that feeling from yeah. looking at them. Mm-hmm. And also, he starts out real, like, straight-laced in the beginning of the show. Like, he's like, well, you know, I don't know, and blah, 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 and all that other good stuff. And he winds up in tears at the end of the show by the time he tells all these stories. Um, because there was specifically, he used to go to, the, to answer a bell. He would hear a bell in the house. And every time he went to go look for this bell, something evil would happen. Um, so he's relating a story about the bell and he just falls to pieces, just older guy. And the wife says, I've never seen him like that. And they actually use the Tatums to reenact everything. Oh man. And that made me wonder, did they insist on that? Now, well, you, you know, know like, were they I like, I was telling you when I saw the, uh, the guardian tape that would, they actually used Diane Levinek. That was her. It was a reenactment, yeah. but it was actually her doing the reenacting. Yeah. So yeah. sometimes I can't tell when they're actors or when it's actually, you know, the, right. The, well, yeah, they the used to do witnesses. such a good job. Of, they used to do such a good job of casting them and they look so much like, yeah, I, that was probably my favorite paranormal one. And then probably Lizzie Borden after that. Yeah. Um, Cause that was just a fantastic episode. And not too long ago, not the last time it was for sale, um, but the Lizzie Borden house was for sale. Probably I want to say maybe, 10 or 12 years ago and my wife and I took a run at it we were it was a reasonable price and we were we were looking to get out of corporate life and we were thinking about buying it no kidding I did not know that yeah 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 I never got a chance to tell you that but you know like my biggest dream for a while not anymore now I just want to go out to New Mexico and I just want a little bit of land but my biggest dream for a while was to get a haunted property yeah and I wanted to Airbnb it when we weren't there um, so I love that kind of stuff. And that was our dream for a while. We were, that was going to be our retirement. If you notice now, there's people all over who are buying up these haunted properties and they're making a ton of yeah. money Airbnb in them. Yeah. Paranormal tourism, man, is, is huge now. It's, oh, it's, it's huge, really huge. I mean, it's always been a thing going back a long ways, but this just exploded here in, in like the last decade. There's a house in New York that we had booked us and another couple. I want to say it's called the witch's house. It's a simple little place. It's just a little white farmhouse and it's in upstate New York. I think it's called the witch's house and we had booked it, man. I mean, I, I had laid down a deposit and we were going up for a weekend and this couple had never investigated anything, you know, and we've done our fair share of investigation. Uh, that place freaked me out so bad. We canceled going. Really? <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna have to look there, at that. One. There was, yeah, it's pretty crazy. I mean, I could give you the link, and you could put it in this episode. And I told you before, man, I would love to go to the Sally House. Would love to. Yeah, Sally House, you can rent it out. Um, I looked recently; it's kind of died down now, so it's real like it's feasible to get in within like sixty to ninety days. It's a reasonable fee too, as well, and you can actually stay overnight in the Sally House. I love that kind of stuff. Yeah, it's love awesome. It. I mean, yeah. every every time I go somewhere, that's what I look for. I I always try to find. Some yeah, we've sort done. Of, yeah, it's yeah. I mean, God, we've been to a lot of different haunted places. For a while, there was one. I want to say it was in Harrisburg, or it was either in Harrisburg or Reading, and that one was for sale. And at that time, we just had we were trying to get rid of another property, and we were just not in a position to buy it. But I would love to do that. Yeah. Love to do it. I'm kind of getting out of it a little bit. I think now I'm getting a little bit too old. (laughs) So maybe I'll just retire easily. I think people would really enjoy that. Yeah, totally. I mean, it would would do well. It's guaranteed. It's guaranteed. You know, people are, yeah, people are looking for experiences nowadays. Um, 
you know, look at all the stuff that's going on. Axe throwing, mm-hmm. escape rooms, right? People don't want to sit home all night. I mean, the pandemic changed things a little bit, but people want to get out and they want to have fun. You know, I love escape rooms. I we wonder if there's a Lindsay Borden axe throwing. <laughs> <laughs> they could do that in a garage. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, they could do that out in the garage. But yeah, there, there's so many cool places. I, the matter of fact, the one that's up in, what's the one up New England? It's the couple. What's the old couple's name? Uh, With all this stuff Ed going Lorraine on, I can't Warren. remember. Yeah, the Warrens. So the, the one where the Warrens, uh, I think the first movie is it's a truck driver and his family move into this house. And, you know, Lorraine Warren winds up in the sub-basement with a demon. You know, all that other good happy horse shit. That house recently sold to a young couple. And they are renting it out. And they actually filmed a special that's on Prime. They're still renting it. You have to rent the, the special. But you can actually stay in that house now. Oh, no kidding. You're not the talking conjuring. about the Amityville house. This is somewhere else? It's the Conjuring. The first okay. Conjuring house. Yeah. You can actually go up and stay in that now. That's wild. Yeah, I think it's like $200 a person. But yeah, that stuff's cool, man. People should do that. It's like that new commercial with Ewan McGregor out. I think he says, you know, are you going to regret the shit you didn't buy? No, you're going to regret the places you didn't go. Me, at my point, at my stage in my life, I'm going to tell you that's absolutely 100% true. Get out and go to as many places as you can go. Because all the other shit you can't take with you. But you can take the memories. So, yeah, I would love to do that. That Those would be the two paranormal ones that I, I really like. Gotcha. What do you think? So, I know you're not as crazy about the Netflix version as you are the original. Which, you know, same. But I do enjoy it. I binge each season each time they dropped. Was there any episodes you were feeling from the newer one? The Reyes episode. Oh yeah, yeah. the 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 guy that falls through the hole in the roof. It was it was bizarre, man. That was a bizarre one. You know what it was? Every time you thought you had it figured out, they dropped some other new piece of information on you. Yeah, you know that was crazy. And I don't want to ruin that for anybody because it's so new. Um, you know, but God, every time you think they're going to stop telling the story, there's another like there's secret societies. There's yeah, that one took skull a lot and bone of turns, stuff. Man. There's yeah, it, it's just crazy, you know. And I think that yeah, might I think have his been name the was first episode, if I remember right. Right, it's it's actually not Reyes. It's called Ray Rivera. Is yeah. his name? It's the Ray Rivera episode. And you're right. It's either the first or one of the first three of the first season. Yeah, and it's told from the perspective of his wife. Uh, yeah, that was actually one of my favorites as well. It was because it was just yeah. It took a lot of turns, man. It's still unsolved. Yeah, that and the um. I would think the best paranormal one, and there's really not that many paranormal ones. No, there's they've only done one each season. So last season it was like uh, the the ghost of Japanese tsunami victims, which was actually pretty awesome. That was a good episode. I was going to say it was terrible. I'm glad we don't agree with everything. (laughs) Yeah, I thought it was pretty good. (laughs) I liked it. No, I'm glad we don't agree on everything. I just, I you know, subtitles, vague witness. See the thing I think with the. The culture over there loves ghosts, man. Nobody makes fun of anybody else for talking about ghosts over there, right? Yeah. So they have that acceptance of that and that culture, and I just think it breeds like some crazy stories. It's all about whether I believe this shit or not. Yeah, right? I think so. I think for me, maybe the stories was a little bit hokey, but I'm kind of predisposition to Japanese paranormal. I love it, man. There's a lot of it. Yeah. Speaking of which, and a lot of good stuff too. And not to derail this conversation, but have you heard about the Killing Rock? 
Do you know anything about that? No. Nope. Yeah, so there's this folklore in uh, Japan. I couldn't tell you where at, but there's a uh, famous rock. It's just a black rock in the middle of nowhere. And I think it's uh, decorated slightly, but it's called the Killing Rock, and it's big for tourism. A lot of people come to see it, but nobody touches it because if you touch it, you're supposed to instantly die. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, and I think the, uh, the mythology on it, Look, I would have researched this if I knew I was going to be talking about it, but I'm pretty sure it was uh, back in the 1200s. There was supposed to be a uh, assassin that was trying to kill the emperor, got caught, and then was killed by a warrior, and that was supposed to be their corpse. That's oh, okay. that's the whole mythology around this. Anybody that touches it is supposed to die, which is like everyone that's ever drank yeah. water died. You know, <laughs> everybody's going to yeah. die. But I think with this rock, it's supposed to be almost like an instant death. Well, anyway, last week it split in two. Really? Yeah. Probably like frost cracking from the natural phenomena that led to it cracking, but it's busting too. So it's supposed to contain the demon of a nine-tailed fox spirit, and which is supposed to wreak havoc upon the earth. So a lot of people are tripping about this rock. Well, it just split last week. It didn't yeah. split like three years ago? Nah, it split last week. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> so if it's going to get yeah. even worse. But yeah, that's yeah. a, that's a yeah, thing that's right? happening. I guess we should have... Like, think about, <laughs> think about the last three years, right? I mean, oh, I now know. you go out and you're like... Like, when I leave my house, man, and I'm like, do I have to put a fucking mask on? Really? Yeah. <laughs> right? And then I go, oh, shit, I need gas. Let me go to the gas station, right? And unfortunately, both gas stations are closed on the island, <laughs> right? Because the tanks are too old, so I got to go off island. Yeah. So I got to go seven miles to a gas station. That's so crazy, man. You, get, you go to the gas station and you look up, right? And I'm filling up that pig that I have. And a guy goes, yeah, it'll be $89. And I'm like, oh, Jesus Christ, right? Well, let me stop at the grocery store. You know, at least I can get some food. Uh, I stopped today, and I like that Rayo's spaghetti sauce. Yeah. Um, it's like the Rayo's brand. Oh, that's exactly what it's I just use. excellent, right? Yeah. Oh, you know it's what? So it's good. made in Jersey. Yep. Montclair, yep. I think. It's, yeah. it's the best. Yeah, that, that restaurant up in New York is unreal. You, you, like, get willed tables there. That's the only way you can get in. Yeah. I get up the front, and I scan that puppy. And it's eleven ninety nine, and I said, you know, and there's no checker around, right? And I'm like, push the little fucking beeper, and the the light starts going off up the top, and I'm like, yo, come here. And she comes over, and she's like, yeah, what's the matter? I said, I don't want this sauce. Oh, why? I'm like, because it's twelve dollars. She goes, twelve dollars. I said, yeah, tell me about it. I'll make my own. Yeah, that's so ridiculous. I went out. I went and got Sam Marzano's and made my own. <laughs> but hey, yeah, it's so depressing, either. man. It's just a little. It's extra so depressing, work. right? It is, yeah. man. And then I'm you go home you. and. Oh, I don't know how any of us are keeping our sanity. Yeah. Yeah, all you can do is laugh, man. Yeah. All you can do is laugh and just hope it blows over. But same thing. That sauce is so expensive <laughs> here too, man. It, it's legit. It's like 12 bucks a, a jar and not even the big jar, you know? Yeah, that's the other thing, right? It's just barely enough to cover like, you know, a meal for two people. Exactly. Yeah. No, it's it's uh, pretty trying times. So I hope the Killing Rock... Somebody should glue that fucker back together. Yeah, I think that's what they're trying to do. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy glue. Yeah, but anyway, it's of epoxy. Totally derailed that conversation. But yeah, no, I think uh, I, would, I think the first season did have a pretty good paranormal one, and it was the uh, Berkshire yes, UFO case. That's my favorite. Yeah, I didn't know if you had a chance to watch that one, but that was done very well. And again, if the yeah, listeners haven't great. heard it, they can uh, check it out themselves. Good witnesses too. Yeah, um, it, that's the thing. It's almost forty of them. Yeah, you know. Yeah, witnesses out the ass. Very, very credible, the whole thing. Yeah. You know, um, like, look, like, you know, we've been splitting time between true crime and paranormal. We always trust, we'll always cover paranormal stuff. I don't have any problem with paranormal shit. What I got problems with is I got problems with the witnesses. That's the only thing I've got problems with. 
you know, I just see some of this stuff. And I mean, I don't want to go off on a tangent about how angry the UFO community makes me, but I will go sideways on one tangent. And I didn't even talk to you about this yet. I'm a huge fan of small town monsters. Huge fan. I love everything Seth Breedlove does. It's a good one. If you look in the credits on a lot of his beginning movies, you'll see my name. I was in the Kickstarters. I was backing his stuff up. I've had conversations with him via email on different subjects. Um, We had one of his friends on the show talking about mountain lions. I like everything Seth does. They recently covered the Chicago Mothman with a movie. So I was thinking to myself, I'm not going to like this. I bought it. I bought the movie. So Seth, don't get mad at me. I bought the movie. Okay. I did not back it. Didn't even know you guys were doing it, but I would have. I was just concerned about the way it would be done because anybody who looks at that case and sees the evidence and knows the people who were collecting the evidence knows that it's a case that's built on really shaky ground. And I think they did an excellent job handling that. Um, They really do do a very good job in the movie of being even handed. It's definitely worth buying, definitely worth at least renting. I bought it. See, I do know the backstory about it. I just haven't yes. seen the movie. It's very even-handed, and they do they do question a lot of the source material for the initial reports because a lot of them were anonymous. And then there was a very public falling out on Twitter and on social media by one of the members of the team who was a female. Yep. Her name was Allison, and she wasn't treated very fairly. Yeah, Mike, I think we talked um, about that on the show, didn't we? Yeah. Yes, we did. I think it may have been and a roundtable episode. Yeah, I was really, really concerned about the way they were going to handle that. And they did a very good job with it. He's pictured talking to Allison in it. And I don't know if she said she didn't want to come on and talk about it. But there's a couple of pictures of Seth talking to her and her side of the story. And that whole argument never gets included in the film. And I think that's a that's a shame. Uh, but maybe I don't know the whole story. So I'm willing to, you know, back off my opinion if I find out that maybe she didn't want to get included in it. But there was some pretty derogatory things said about her. And she was basically just trying to say that a lot of the reports they were getting were anonymous and could have been coming from anywhere. Yeah. There wasn't a lot of evidence to back them up. But it's still a movie that's definitely worth looking at. I mean, not for so nothing. I do. I, I'd understand if she didn't want anything to do with it anymore because she, she caught a lot of flack over that. Which she should have never have. Yeah. She was just trying to do the right thing. So there's a, a situation where someone is trying to say, hey, maybe we should check sources. Maybe we should put this evidence under a microscope, seeing as there's no fucking name attached to the report. Yeah. You know, and this place that's in they were saying is in the report doesn't really exist guys, you know, and she was just trying to do the right thing. Yeah. She was trying to be thorough. And not only that, and they she, weren't was, having she was being super thorough as if I remember, I think she like lined up moon phases and like compare that to testimony and it ended up being like stuff. completely and, bullshit. Yeah. And they weren't having it. They were like, look, we're on a roll here. We got, you know, everybody's trying to invent a new monster. I don't know if you noticed that. Yeah. Well, I'm glad so, small town, I mean, like handled it pretty well. I'm going to have to definitely check that out. I got to give him an 80 for it. Yeah. I mean, they could have did better. I mean, but maybe I don't know. Maybe she didn't want to get included in it. Um, If she didn't get one, didn't want to get included in it and didn't want to drag it back up. It's absolutely a a grand slam. It's done really well. So I I would suggest anybody take a look at it. 
and they do a really good job too. And um, what I've always said, because I had an experience where I had an eagle fly over my head, and I could have swore that the thing was like eight foot wide. Yeah, now they're big. Thinking back on it afterwards, like I think people just when they look at an object in the sky, they just they they have a hard time judging the size of it. And that's a lot of what was going on with that case. There was, there's actually a video. Um, I forget what video it is, but it's it's very clearly a bird in the sky, and they're talking about it. You know, the Lake Michigan Mothman. So, you know, I think people have a hard time looking up in the sky and seeing that stuff. That that that's my only problem with the paranormal, man. I, when I want to look at a case, I want to look at a really good one. Yeah. <laughs> No, I feel you. You know, that, yeah. I mean, because that, that should be the basis for us deciding everything. It shouldn't be shaky cases. Yeah. So, listeners, if you're wondering why we're off on so many tangents and talking about Unsolved Mysteries, <laughs> here's what's happening. First of all, Volume 3 of Unsolved Mysteries is coming out relatively soon. I'm pretty pumped for it. I'm going to probably binge it all just like I did the first two seasons. But that said... We, I will as well. Yeah, we're going to be concentrating on a couple well actually a few cases here coming up that are really more true crime direction than paranormals did you want to give them a hint about what we're doing right now yeah we don't we probably won't do them all in a row and we're still going to be doing some paranormal stuff um yeah definitely you know, we're not, not getting away, away from, from the paranormal at all but let, let's Matter just fact, call it anything, a, uh, let's just call it the unsolved spring because that's what we're doing pretty much <laughs> yeah there's a good one but if anything i've been looking for more like when i look for stuff for us to take a look at i i i I really now look for stuff that's really, really, really almost like the Berkshire abductions. You know, it's yeah, it's like good really witnesses. good witnesses, um, verifiable some, information. You know, yeah, maybe really good video, maybe some good audio, that kind of yeah, stuff. If there's that's what I'm any kind for. of evidence or you know excellent testimony, of course, I definitely want yeah. to see it. Yeah, and sometimes it's just good to talk about the other stuff just in a fun way. But yeah, I mean, actually. We can get into, you know, what's your favorite unsolved mystery in Jersey? And that should kind of, you know, let people know what we're going to be getting into. My three that I picked out for unsolved in New Jersey, one of them was the Lindbergh baby. I just find that case fascinating. Yeah, I think that'd be we a lot We won't be of looking into the Lindbergh baby. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Down the road. We'll do something down the road with the Lindbergh baby, but it's a, it's a crazy, crazy case. A lot of twists and turns. Yeah, with that. so many conspiracies. It's almost like the it's, John. Yeah. <laughs> it's almost like the John Binet of that era. Yeah. You know, maybe not quite that crazy, but yeah, it's a pretty crazy case. Um, and then we're going to be doing something on Jeanette De Palma uh, because Garrett read the book. Yeah. And uh, I think we have, we've been trying to figure out a way to do it that's like everybody else has done it because we just didn't want to repeat somebody else's podcast. And I think we've got some really good guests lined up for that. Yeah. Um, some interesting stuff. So we've got that. I'm going to tell you, we've... And that's... We've we've read the same case That's a stuff lightning as you, rod. but I'm telling you, if you if you listen, you're gonna find out some different information because we're looking at this with a different set of eyes. And everything we look at is unsolved. If you've listened to the Barry case, you know we're actually not just trying to tell a story, but trying to solve it if we can. That could be that could be the difference of why the show is the way it is right now. I mean, you know, I'm moving towards true crime because I'm 58, running out of time to make an impact, right? And you're in your 30s and you still want to, you know, muse through that stuff. And I get it, man. You know, I absolutely get it. Yeah. So, well, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm just happy trying either to do way, man. Just trying to do some good. Yeah. 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 I enjoy that's talking why about it's a good paranormal mix. stuff just because it's something I really enjoy. Yeah. At the same time, man, if I could solve a case, I'm all about that. Yeah. Or at least move it along. 
you know, at least give somebody a different perspective. You never know who's listening. You know, maybe you say something that makes makes the truth come out. So, yeah, we'll be doing Jeanette DePalma, and we'll be doing a little bit of a different take on it. We've got some people coming on that you haven't heard from before um, that have an interesting story to tell. Um, I had a really cool experience last week, met two really nice people. So we'll, we'll be talking about that. And then um, we're going to be approaching the Secret Stevenson case, Yep, doing some stuff on that. But th- those were my three in Jersey. By the way, my unsolved mysteries in Jersey is Lindbergh, Baby Jeanette Palm, and Secret Stevenson. And then also, before we finish up, we should probably talk about David. Well, and that's the thing is we briefly mentioned it before, but a lot of new things have come to light as far as uh, Dave Cohen. Um, did you just want to quickly recap that case? Yeah. David Cohen was a, a guy who lived in Jersey when he was younger, was raised in Jersey. His family was from Jersey uh, around the Browns Mills area. And David was a, uh, he was working in West Virginia and uh, he was coming up to visit a friend who lived up in Lacey Township. And he stopped on his route because he got tired and decided to stay in the Red Line Motel at the, right around the circle for Route 72 on 206. So right around where the Red Lion Diner is, mm-hmm. he was staying in a Red Lion Motel. So if you're coming north on 206, the first hotel after you get past the gas station is the Holly. It ain't the Holly. Um, it's not the Holly. And then you go past the PNC Bank, and then the next hotel is the Red Lion Motel. And he was he decided to stay at the Red Lion Motel that night. So he went next door to Red Star Pizza and got himself some dinner, and he's on video CCTV there getting some dinner. Um, he turned right out of the parking lot, and he was never seen again. His truck was found in the Red Lion Hotel a couple days later, and uh, he's been missing ever since. So it's a very, it's not exactly a a rural area. Uh, Not a lot of places you could get lost in right there. You got to kind of go on a ride to get lost. So it's it's an interesting case, and there's a gentleman who we're going to have on to talk about it, and uh, we're going to try to help this family out and see if we can get it moving a little bit. There's some interesting, uh, you know, turns on it. So, yeah, looking forward to that one. Yeah, so, so if you guys want to familiarize be, yourselves with those cases, like, we will be talking about them in yeah. depth, and we'll have some new information, possibly. We're going to be looking at it from all different angles. So if you guys want to interact with us, you have your own theories, any leads, of course, let us know. But we'll be talking about those cases individually, and mo- some of them may be multiple episodes. So we may talk about yeah, that, Palma for, you know, two, three episodes, and then we'll switch over right. from there. Right. And uh, we'll be giving you the best places to send your tips to. So there's some independent places who are collecting tips on those cases. I think everybody knows by now the worst thing you can do is send your tips to the police. You can you can if you want to. But if you're going to send them to the police, make sure you send them to these independent guys, too, so that they get taken seriously. Yeah. Um, so we'll be giving you some links to send uh, some information, some independent sources, as well as the detectives that are working on the cases. Yeah, and if you want to talk to us, you can totally remain anonymous. We don't have to get any of your info. Nothing crazy like that. Yeah, our my highline is completely uh, anonymous. So if you look at the wall art, cover art for our podcast, that hotline right there, when you call in, I don't know what your number is. I don't know who you are. Fact, fantasy, and history have come together to tease the imagination. 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 imagination.